Mint Mobile is a popular service in the privacy world and they got hit with a data breach. So let's talk about that. Rite Aid was banned from using facial recognition technology. An update on a startling French court case, which gets juicier. A case of surveillance in the wrong hands. Oof, that's a good one too. And more. Welcome to SR161, where we're dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news in the past week. If you're new here, welcome. And uh, let's join this party. It's Christmas Eve at the time we're recording this. Happy holidays to those who celebrate those types of things. And if you don't, then still appreciate you being here. Uh, I'm Henry from Techler. I'm Nate from The New Oil. Yeah, I was going to say, I really hope this goes out no later than Christmas Day, or else this is just going to be a weird aesthetic choice. Hey, everybody. Future Henry here. So uh, I did not get this edit done on time on my end, and so I am going to be actually uh, covering a few stories from the following week after our normal recording session so that you still kind of get some of the news from the last two weeks. I am going to tell you the stories I won't be covering that have already happened, um, so that way you're all kind of in a loop on what's going on. Also, Happy New Year's. We're going to start with the promo segment, as we always do. Again, these are free podcasts, and uh, we do our best to just do this every single week. And yeah, we get a little bit of ad revenue, but I think it's it's almost nothing, Like especially when we split it between the two of us. It's almost nothing from YouTube ads right now. If we got more views, then it'd be a little bit better. But the main way that we're able to make money off of this podcast is actually from Patreon. Uh, we really appreciate all of you over on Patreon. It helps a ton. Um, and it's what even allows us to do this podcast. So if you want to be a part of that, patreon.com slash surveillance pod is how you be a part of that. And also you get to join our Q&A. You get uncut versions of our videos, which actually we did do a little mistake. Uh, I mean, it depends on a mistake. Uh, we did get an email, I believe, from somebody who said that um, the 23andMe data breach from last week that we covered. Uh, two weeks ago. They said that, oh, two weeks ago, thank <laughs> you. Um, They're also sending out emails updating the terms of service pretty much preventing people from suing 23andMe for that lot for that issue, um, which actually we did cover, but we did a miss, like we only left that in for the Patreon version. And so even then we didn't happens. really go super deep into it. We just kind of mentioned it was a thing. So yeah. Yeah. It was just like a quick sentence. So um, like not, we're not just trying to incentivize the Patreon version, but we're also kind of saying like, oh, for people who are wondering about that, we did cover it. We just forgot to include it in the regular version. Um, also Nate said, uh, that, uh, with PeerTube, you can subscribe to things via RSS. So if you want to just follow us on PeerTube via RSS, that's always an option as well. Well, specifically I learned it's a video thing. If you have, um, this is just for people who prefer video podcasts. If you have a podcast app that does video podcasts, you can subscribe to PeerTube and, you know, assuming it supports RSS as well. And I just thought that was pretty cool. Just diving right into the highlight story. So Mint Mobile uh, is a cellular provider and we commonly recommend it. Uh, and also the privacy world typically recommends it. It's not just an us thing, uh, but they have disclosed a new data breach that exposes customer data. And we'll talk about why we recommend it and how it impacts something like this. Uh, they don't know how many people yet. It's according to the seller. Data is a couple months old and comes out to about 30 gigabytes. And it includes names, telephone numbers, email addresses, SIM serial numbers, and IMEI numbers. A brief description of service plan provided, but payment data was not exposed. And it's unclear if hashed passwords were exposed. So... Uh, that's really it for the story. The main reason why we wanted to highlight this is a lot of people in our community likely use Mint Mobile. Fortunately, the reason why both Nate, I, and many other people recommend Mint Mobile is because you can just get it with cash from a store without actually sharing any real personal information. Um, so name, a lot of people probably in our community don't use the real name for Mint Mobile. The telephone number would be exposed, but they likely use an alias email address. And, and so the only real identifiable data points are just the number itself without any actual associated data. But, you know, if an app did get your IMEI number or something like that, then I guess in theory they could tie that to your telephone number. But 
I think that's about the most amount of damage that could happen. But either way, this is something maybe to think about. I think Mint Mobile's had other issues in the past now from a security perspective. And so for those who don't even want to deal with nonsense like this and they want to go for a higher security service, maybe it's something to think about. But the reason why people recommend Mint Mobile is because of the privacy that you can get by just going to a store, paying for it in cash, and it's affordable and it uses T-Mobile's towers. So it's kind of a jack of all trades. Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, just to add on to that, one thing the article pointed out is um, this does increase the risk of SIM swapping because they basically have all the information they need to impersonate you, which um, you and I were talking before the recording. Mint doesn't exactly have the strongest protection against account takeovers to begin with, according to your experience. So, um, yeah, so it's just a reminder. I know sometimes you have no choice but to use a SIM number, and we, we always point out voice over IP is not freely available everywhere like it is in the US. But this is a reminder that if you have other options like TOTP, YubiKeys, things like that, you should definitely be using them. And if you have voice over IP available in your country, you should also look into that as well. Now, next week, the highlight story isn't guaranteed, but it's likely going to be about this four-year campaign, which involves some backdoored iPhones uh, regarding the Kaspersky team. And this is one of the most advanced exploits ever that we've ever seen. And so we're going to really deep dive into that likely next week. We want to give that its own time and attention, but you can already dig into this online. There's already a lot of coverage about it. With that, we'll kick off data breaches. And this is going to be pretty quick this week. We'll start off with Xfinity, who has disclosed a data breach affecting over 35 million people. This is a result of the Citrix bleed vulnerability. So this doesn't appear to be quite as prolific as the Move It breach, but this is another one of those breaches that we're just probably going to see several people come forward over the next couple months like this. The data included usernames and hash passwords, and in some cases, names, contact info, last four of social security number, date of birth, and or security questions and answers. I've got an invasive thought that I want to leave in, so if anybody wants to do this, I'm picturing a, a montage of Sasha Baron Cohen as the little lemur from from Madagascar, and he's doing the, I like to move it, move it. Oh, but every time no. he says move it, it cuts to a different move it data breach in like a montage of move it breaches. So if someone wants to make that and send it to us, I'd, I'd appreciate that. <laughs> you would have to do like a 10 hour loop because didn't they say there's like thousands of companies or hundreds of companies have been hit by this? Maybe, but like you could just do like the top 20 and just, <laughs> I like to move it, move it. And it crashes the story. I like to move it, move it. And <laughs> Yeah. I would watch that. Invasive thought. All right, next data breach. Healthcare software pr- provider data breach impacts 2.7 million, and it's ESO solutions, and it included pretty sensitive information like full names, date of births, phone numbers, patient account and medical record numbers, injury types and dates, and some other medical information, as well as social security numbers. And the list of affected hospitals and clinics are in the article if you're curious if you were affected by this. All right, and in our effort to make the data breach section a little bit more reasonable. The next three data breaches, we have little or no information yet other than the fact that they happened, so we're just gonna list them all off. Uh, there's a company called VF Corp. They are the owners of Vans, Supreme, and the North Face. They say personal data. Not Supreme. Data. <laughs> Not Supreme. <laughs> I don't know. Not even, Supreme. I don't even know. Okay, anyways, they say personal data was stolen and orders are impacted in a suspected ransomware attack. Nissan Australia has a cyber attack that is being claimed by the Acura ransomware gang. And Insomniac, which is a game studio owned by Sony, they were hacked and the attacker released more than 1.3 million stolen files, which include included unannounced game info, but also some employee uh, documents. Like I think they said passports and even information on one of the, at least one of the voice actors. So yeah, 
If we hear any more information about those, we'll keep you guys updated. And on a similar note, we have an updates section. So mortgage giant Mr. Cooper data breach affects almost 15 million people. And it's an update about what was stolen, which includes full names, home addresses, phone numbers, social security numbers, data births, and bank account numbers. Again, stay subscribed because we want to keep you all updated on the stories. All right, now we're not done because there are more data breaches that happened a week after that last recording session. Um, the first one is from CVS. Paramount owner National Amusement says that it was hacked. And this is a cinema chain and corporate parent giant of media giants Paramount and CBS. And it's confirmed it experienced a data breach in which hackers stole the personal information of tens of thousands of people. And here's the kicker. This was from December of 2022. And this only came to light a year Later, after the company began notifying those affected last week, which is infuriating. Um, according to the Maine's notice, the company discovered the breach months later in August, but did not say what specific personal information was taken. So the company didn't even discover this months later, and they still didn't alert the public months after that. So there's actually no other information about the story. Hopefully more comes out, but seriously, shame on this company. Panasonic has disclosed a data breach after a December 2022 cyber attack, which is also... A year later. So a leading supplier of in-flight communications and entertainment systems, which is Panasonic Avionics Corporation, disclosed a data breach affecting an undisclosed number of individuals after its corporate network was breached more than a year ago. These systems are installed in over 15,000 commercial airplanes, and more than 200 airlines use the IFE, Wi-Fi, and other digital services on their aircraft, accounting to roughly 70% of the global IFE-equipped fleet. Panasonic, though, feels very bad and very sorry, so they are providing every who has affected 24 months of free identity and credit monitoring services. This fun one is kind of a throwback because I used to drink those little Yakult packages. Y-A-K-U-L-T, Yakult. It's those little milk things with live bacteria and they're fermented. Um, I don't have milk anymore or any dairy, so that's not something I have anymore. But those things used to be so good, man. But bad news because Yakult Australia has confirmed a cyber incident after a 95 gigabyte data leak. Uh, so this happened mid-December of this year, not last year. And they first became aware of a cyber incident on the morning of the 15th of December, and they cannot confirm the extent of the incident, but they're working with experts to investigate the matter. Um, this happened because of the Dragon Force group, and it seems to have impacted a lot of corporate documents, but we still don't know the full scope of this data breach. Mortgage firm Loan Care warns 1.3 million people of a data breach. This includes sensitive information in the U.S. that was exposed in a data breach at its parent company, Fidelity National Financial. The information that has been compromised includes full name, physical addresses, social security numbers, loan numbers, and of course, they're making it all up to everybody by giving them two years of identity monitoring services. So... Awesome, thank you, Fidelity. Next data breach is from EasyPark, which uh, published a notice on its website warning of a data breach it discovered on December 10th of again this year, which impacts an unknown number of its millions of users. This impacted names, phone numbers, addresses, email addresses, some digits of your credit card number or IBAN. And if you want to know if you're affected and you use EasyPark, open the app and it'll tell you if it's there, apparently. That's what the FAQ says, at least. So I can't confirm that, but apparently that's how it works. Integris health patients get extortion emails after a cyber attack. So these are health patients in Oklahoma who are receiving blackmail emails stating that their data was stolen in a cyber attack on the healthcare network. And if they do not pay an extortion demand, that data will be sold to other threat actors. This is Oklahoma's largest not-for-profit health network, operating hospitals, clinics, and urgent care throughout the state. And the email says, we give you the opportunity to remove your personal data from our databases before we sell the entire database to data brokers on January 
January 5th, 2024. The emails include a link to a Tor extortion site that currently lists the stolen data for approximately almost 5 million people, including their names, social security numbers, dates of births, and information about hospital visits. So very unfortunate situation, and they're telling people not to uh, not to do this. So if you're impacted by this, uh, their, the formal suggestion is to not do this. And the last update data breach from this last week, Kroll, K-R-O-L-L, Kroll, but they've revealed an FTX customer info exposed in August data breach. So they're a risk and financial advisory company, and they've now released additional details regarding an August data breach, which exposed the personal information of FTX bankruptcy claimants. So they said the exposed data included coin holdings and balances, which would allow threat actors to pinpoint attractive targets who invest heavily in the cryptocurrency markets. Now it's time for companies. We only have one company story this week, but it is a pretty big one. Rite Aid's covert surveillance program program falsely ID'd customers as shoplifters, according to the FC FTC. So Rite Aid is banned from using facial recognition surveillance technology for five years in order to settle a Federal Trade Commission charge that it failed to protect consumers in hundreds of its stores, which is based on AI to ID potential shoplifters from 2012 to 2020. Based on the faulty system, the pharmacy chain's workers erroneously accused customers of wrongdoing in front of friends and relatives, and in some cases searching them, ordering them to leave the store or reporting them to the police, according to the complaint. The retailer hired two companies to help create a database of tens of thousands of images of people that Rite Aid believed had committed crimes or intended to at one of its locations. Collected from security cameras, employee phone cameras, and even news stories, many of the images were of poor quality with the systems generating thousands of false positives. Rite Aid failed to test the system for accuracy and deployed the technology even though the vendor expressly stated it couldn't vouch for its reliability. And then this is just an example from the article. During one five-day period, Rite Aid generated more than 900 separate alerts in more than 130 stores from New York to Seattle, all claiming to match one single person in its database. So in other words, this one person in less than a week, went from New York to Seattle and stopped at like 900 different Rite Aid stores, according to this facial recognition technology. That's how bad it was. In one incident, a Rite Aid worker stopped and searched an 11-year-old girl, which sounds like a lawsuit waiting to happen in my opinion, based on a false match. Black, Asian, Latino, and women consumers were at increased risk of being incorrectly matched. Further, Rite Aid did not tell consumers it used the technology and specifically instructed workers not to tell patrons or the media. I'm glad I don't live near enough a Rite Aid to make it worth going to one. That's all I got on that one. We're gonna we're gonna dive into the research section, and there's only uh, two stories. Yeah, two stories this week, and the first one is: Does less consumer tracking lead to less fraud? So this is a study from the National Bureau of Economic Research, and the highlight of the research is that Apple users were less likely to be victims of financial fraud after Apple implemented the app tracking transparency policy. What does that mean? Let's get into it. So this study needs a lot more follow-up and peer review. It's very preliminary, but basically researchers used location data to determine the number of iPhone users in a given zip code and then compared the number of reported victims of financial fraud before and after ATT was rolled out, app tracking transparency. Uh, they found that the number of crimes reported after, a they found that the number of crimes reported after ATT dropped. So for those wondering what possible research flaws such as correlation versus causation, the article states to test the accuracy and reliability of their results, the researchers employed many different methods typically used in a statistical analysis, which includes placebo tests, robustness check, and I don't know what this is, but poison regression. I assume that's some, yeah, uh, if, you, if you know, you know. Um, in lay terms, these methods test the results against assumptions to try to, uh, you know, take into a uh, take into account correlation versus causation and other types of effects uh, in research. While the scope of the data is small, this is the first significant research we've seen that connects increased privacy 
with decreased fraud, uh, which should matter to all of us. It reinforces that when companies take steps to protect our privacy, they also help protect us from financial fraud. Uh, EFF does go on to criticize Apple to do better and also the researchers for using SafeGraph. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I guess some context here. I think from a technical perspective, what might be happening, at least my analysis, is if you have more privacy, normally a company has less information about you, which means, you know, there's less risk of an insider threat. So even someone who works for the company is able to get information about you, or if they suffer a data breach, it's less likely to result in financial fraud. Um, and so those, kind of, those are kind of the two core areas. And also with a lot of these companies, there's probably there probably is a small amount of correlation on the company side of things, if I had to guess, because a company is more likely to respect your data and collect less about you, is also less likely to share it with third parties and all of that stuff, is my assumption. But either way, in a society where individual privacy is honored, uh, it actually is better for the consumer and it respects them better and it leads to a better result for them and uh, gets them in a safer environment. So something we should chase after, I think. This next one... Um... I'm actually not sure if this affects anyone listening, but I'm sharing it just in case. It kind of went over my head a little bit. Microsoft has discovered a critical remote code execution flaw in Perforce Helix Core servers. Four vulnerabilities, one of which is rated critical, have been discovered in uh, the Perforce Helix Core server, a source code management platform widely used by gaming, government, military, and technology sectors. Although Microsoft says it has not observed any exploitation attempts of the discovered vulnerabilities in the wild, users of the product are recommended to upgrade. So again, I don't know, maybe this is like a high, high-end thing that nobody out there is using, but I couldn't really find any more information about it. So just in case, thought we'd let you know. All right, this next story is in the politics section. So we are now in politics and it's a... Uh, it's it's a it's a fun one. So Utah charter schools. So the charter schools want student data from school districts, which I assume are public schools, so that they can advertise to those families. So in the coming years, parents of students attending traditional K through 12 schools in Utah school districts could begin receiving a slew of charter school advertisements specifically targeting their children. That's because the Utah State Board of Education is considering enacting a policy that would force school districts to share student information, including addresses and phone numbers, with charters unless parents opt out. The aim is to make it easier for charter schools to directly advertise to families. Though discussions are still early, members of the USBE Law and Licensing Committee last month agreed to explore potential options and the associated costs of implementing such a policy. Quote, my main concern is the cost to the schools, said, said state board member Molly Hart. I'm thinking about the time and therefore monetary costs of this whole endeavor. Yeah, uh, so some stuff to unpack here. I think it makes sense why the school districts want to do this. Um, they could probably make some money. And in doing so, they might lose students in the public school system, which maybe if they're overridden with students, it could be beneficial. But I also know that public schools get their funding from the number of students they have. So I don't know how that works. Maybe someone who's more familiar with the education system can leave their comments. Um, but a little bit of context from the article that I didn't put in the notes. So number okay. one, apparently charter schools in Utah, I don't know if this is, I don't have kids before anyone gets like, how could you not know that? I don't have kids. So it doesn't concern me, but apparently in Utah, at least charter schools are considered public schools, but they don't get public school funding. Um, so I, I guess that kind of plays into this is like, that's why they need to advertise to the families because it's not like a regular public school where like, well, you're in this district, so your kid goes to the school. You can choose to send your kids to the school, but it's something you have to opt into. And apparently in the past, this data was, I guess, like by default, it was kind of shared. It, it, 
something changed. I, I forget exactly what, but in the past, they had an easier time accessing this data to advertise to families. And now something has changed and it's not so easy anymore. So that's kind of what they're addressing is like, well, we kind of robbed them of their avenue to advertise to families. And now we're trying to correct that. So that seems to be what's going on here. But it's still, you know, sharing children's data with another right. that's, entity. That's the, that's the core. We haven't even addressed the elephant right. in the room. We're, we're beating around it. But the core issue here is that student information is just being freely shared. I guess for those listening in Utah, keep in mind it says in the coming years... So a uh, timeline and the scope of this, just to keep it on your radar. Um, but uh, you can opt out. Okay, this next one says, the most dangerous Canadian internet bill you've never heard of is a step closer to becoming law. So obviously a little bit of a bias on this one, but some good information. This is Bill S-210. And according to the author, it goes well beyond personal choices to limit underage access to sexually explicit material on Canadian websites. So quick pause there. That's basically what this is uh being touted as is this is another attempt to stop children from accessing porn, which I don't think I copied it here, but the author does say like, for the record, that's a legitimate concern. You know, any sane person would understandably want to be responsible with that, but it goes well beyond personal choice to limit underage access. Instead, it envisions government enforced global website liability for failure to block underage access backed by website blocking and mandated age verification systems that are likely to include face recognition technologies. The government establishes this regular regulatory framework and is likely to ask the CRTC with pro providing the necessary administration. The basic framework of the bill is that it creates an offense for any organization making available sexually, sexually explicit material to anyone under the age of 18 for commercial purposes. The penalty for doing so is a $250,000 fine for the first offense and up to $500,000 for any subsequent offenses. If the site fails to act as, as instructed within 20 days, the regulator can apply for a court order mandating that Canadian ISPs block the site from their subscribers. And what about the risk of overblocking? The bill not only envisions the possibility of blocking lawful content or limiting access to those over 18, it expressly permits it. Section 9, paragraph 5 states that if the court determines an order is needed, it may have the effect of preventing access to material other than sexually explicit material made available by the organization or limiting access to anyone, not just young people. If that isn't bad enough, there are two additional serious concerns. First, the bill is not limited to pornography sites. Rather, it applies to any site or service that makes sexually, sexually explicit materials available. This would presumably include search engines, social media such as Twitter, or chat forums such as Reddit, where access to explicit material is not hard to find. Second, consider the way sites are supposed to comply with the law by establishing age verification systems. This effectively means the sites will require their users to register with commercial age verification systems in order to run a search or access some tweets. So very dystopian stuff coming out of Canada. And, uh, you know, again, uh, I didn't put it in here, but the author said this is a legitimate concern. I don't think anyone's trying to downplay that. This is just probably not the best way to go about it. It definitely opens a lot of doors for uh, abuse. So the police are now able to run facial recognition searches on 50 million driving license holders in the UK. And the headline pretty much says it all. It's because of a quietly introduced single clause in a new criminal justice bill granting police access to driver's license photos for facial recognition searches. So if you're in the UK, uh, look into that. See if there's anything you can do about it. Uh, maybe you can call some people, but uh, just be aware of it. Okay, so this next one, we don't have uh, like an actual outlet. What we do have is a thread on Mastodon from, I'm going to screw this up, La, La Quadrature? which is a French investigative journalism outlet that we have cited before uh, about this particular story. And for the record, they are also currently one of the organizations that will be benefiting from the Proton Lifetime Raffle. So um, just throwing that out there if you want to 
support or possibly win a Proton Lifetime account and also support this company at the same time. And you can sell your account if you don't like Proton. Anyways, so the story we covered before was about a group of people in France who were being arrested and charged with terrorism-related crimes. Uh, actually, quoting LQ, they said, let's not forget that the, uh, no concrete proof has ever been characterized, that not all the defendants know each other, and that Flo, at the center of the proceedings, went to fight the Islamic State in Rojava alongside Kurdish fighters. So just kind of setting the stage for that. Uh, this is all translated off Deeple, by the way. The original link is in, in uh, French. Um, so they were arrested and charged with terrorism-related crimes, and part of the evidence being used against them was their usage of tools such as signals, Signal and Tails. Again, LQ says, while these elements figured prominently in the prosecutor's closing argument, they were only touched on relatively briefly during the trial. Keep that last quote in mind. We're going to reference it in a second. So according to this thread, they were conv uh, convicted, the, the defendants were convicted and sentenced, um, I guess this morning or within the last couple of days, Time zones make things weird. Uh, LQ said, quote, the however, relating to the quote earlier, however, the judge included these elements in the list of evidence, speaking of a desire for discretion characterized by the use of computer tools, citing the signal application, or the fact of, of having a secure computer environment, probably a reference to Tails, unquote. And then uh, just at the very end, LQ says, everything about this case is shameful, but above all, it is dangerous. There is now a terrible precedent for freedom of expression, for the right to privacy, for freedom of opinion, and for militant movements, unquote. So... Um, just wanted to update you on, guys on that one. That is a very unfortunate outcome. I am assuming that they will be appealing. I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know how that stuff works in France. But yeah, this is uh, really, really unfortunate for privacy users everywhere. Because, you know, I've heard people make the argument, specifically one YouTuber I'm not a fan of, that just having signal on your phone makes you look suspicious. And like, you know, it's going to make the government pay more attention to you. And up until now, we've never had any reason to believe that. Now we do. Now it's like, look, if you get arrested and signals on your phone, that's going to count against you as like, well, what do you have to hide? And that's really unfortunate, especially because I've seen signal like five times in the past year on like random people's phones. Not that I look at people's phones, but you know, anyways, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. All right. Last political stories from the EU and there's now EU fingerprint checks for British travelers in 2024. So this is a border system that will require fingerprints and facial scans to be taken from British travelers on first use is expected to launch next autumn. Under the EES, passengers would have to agree to fingerprinting and facial image capture the first time they arrived on the continent, and after that, the data, including any record of refused entry, should allow quicker processing according to travel bosses. The system will apply when entering 25 EU countries, and four non-EU countries, which include Norway, Iceland, Switzerland, and, oh, Lichtenstein? 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 Lichtenstein, yeah. All right, all right, and Liechtenstein. There you go. <laughs> that are part of the border-free Schengen area along with most EU member states. The checks will take place in England as the UK government has reciprocal agreements with France that the French authorities can operate border checks at UK departure points into the EU. So keep this on your radar if you're British and you want to go to the EU. And as far as we know, I don't think there's an opt-out process for this, but we will see if one comes to light. And just so you all are in the loop, uh, the three big stories that we're going to cover next week for politics. So there was an Apple warning about India journalists and a different organization has confirmed Apple's warning that there are some Indian journalists iPhones who were infected with the Pegasus spyware and we're going to cover that more next week. Also, India is going to be blocking crypto exchanges, Binance, Kraken, and other cryptocurrency websites, which we're going to talk about next week as well. And Google agrees to settle a Google Chrome incognito mode class action lawsuit, which again, we're saving for next 
next week. That'll take us into the free and open source news section, FOSS. We're going to start with a story that... Um, I don't really know what to do with this story, but I felt like it was worth mentioning because we mentioned these guys before. Beeper's iMessage connection software open sourced. What happens next? We're not going to comment on that last part because we don't know, but basically Beeper Mini, we talked about them a while ago. They're, they're the latest one of those softwares that's like, we can bring iMessage to Android. And it seemed, at least on the surface, that they were a little bit more legit than some of the other offerings out there. Well, apparently they are now 100% open source. Uh, according to Beeper, anyone who wants can use it or continue development. Beeper says they are done trying to bring iMessage to Android. So uh, they're basically just tired of the cat and mouse with Apple, and they don't want to deal with it anymore. So they just said, here, here's all the source code. Do whatever you want with it. We're out. Very unfortunate. You said we wouldn't comment on what happens next, but I have something to say about what happens next. Because I did tell you... I don't know if we kept it in the final cut, but I think I told you when we were covering the story originally, this is an antitrust lawsuit waiting to happen. And I think that this is what they're trying to do. So for those who, who Beeper? don't know, Beeper, Beeper, yes, Beeper didn't just uh, do what the, the nothing company did, which is pretty much just set up a server and intercept every message and just relay it right. to Android devices. Yeah, they explicitly Beeper said that in the article we covered. reverse engineered the protocol for iMessage and properly integrated with iMessage, and they were able to port it over to Android. Apple closed this flaw because it relied on some ridiculous like blob from a Mac device from two decades ago or something. And so Apple just changed a, a simple line in their code and pre pretty much prevented that, but then they found a different workaround, and Apple patched that as well. And now Beeper, I think the reason why they're open sourcing this isn't for any other reason than to say, this is actually open source, and if Apple tries to shut something down that's open source that anyone in the community can do to integrate with iMessage, then it's a very antitrust uh, situation ha waiting to happen. So I think that's the reason they open sourced it, to make it a community-run thing and to make the argument of this is actually community code, it's public code, and Apple is now actively going out of their way to use their market dominance to prevent people from using their software on certain devices, even though the capability is possible. If that's so. the case, then why hasn't there been any antitrust lawsuits against like Google for blocking ad blockers and things like that? I don't know, but this is a very specific situation where I think like this is this is like an epic right. epic versus Apple situation where there is a particular weird thing that happens and then they see the antitrust route. But I which think is entirely that, possible because they did mention in the article that several politicians ever since this started have been like they, calling on the FTC yep. to get involved. So. Yeah, so that's what I'm thinking. I think that this is going to turn into an antitrust lawsuit, and I think that if we ever get iMessage for Android officially, it's going to be because of this. Because Beeper could have backed down and just said we're done, like what nothing did. Beep, like nothing disappeared, but Beeper's kind of making like minor marketing things, and this open source thing is, I think, just marketing and just to advertise it. It's not even us anymore. It's not about us. It's about Apple actually preventing some the community from doing something that's entirely technically feasible. Next story is from Firefox, a Firefox 121 now available with Wayland enabled by default. So this is for those Linux users. Uh, you know, you know, if you're a Linux user. But um, it's been working well. Uh, Xorg X11 support remains in place for those not using a Wayland-based desktop environment. Um, but it's not by default. So Wayland is by default for those using Wayland. Um, Firefox 121 also adds voice control command support on macOS, adds an option to always force underlined links within websites, and now includes a floating button to help in creation with PDFs, various CSS feature additions, and other developer enhancements. It also now supports tail call elimination in WebAssembly for enhancing support for functional languages. So uh, if you're a more technical person, then go dive into all that good stuff and 
grab your teeth and just munch on that and figure it out. But yeah, I think for most people, they're like, oh, okay, cool. I'll update. That'll bring us into Misfits. We actually have a couple of interesting stories this week. First one, U.S. water uh, utilities were hacked after leaving their default password set to 1111, cybersecurity officials say. So this headline's a little bit misleading. This is actually an article. First of all, it's really dense in a good way. Uh, it, I started trying to uh, you know, copy and paste bits and pieces. And before I knew it, I was basically copy and pasting the whole article because every paragraph is, is full of good information. So I recommend you guys go read it. This article is basically an exploration of the rising number of attacks on critical infrastructure. And this article focuses specifically on water treatment plants, but I think the implication is that it's happening uh, across the board. And they go on to discuss a lot of the challenges they face. So for example, there's poor security practices. Like they mentioned one guy who I don't know what the hell possessed him to do this, but the system was air gapped. He brought a USB stick from home and plugged it into the computer to like play a game from home. I don't know why he wouldn't just like bring his laptop or something, but whatever. And you know, of course his home computer was infected. So it got onto the system and infected everybody. Uh, there's the whole bad passcodes, like the one, 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 one that, that did happen. And then there's more complex issues, like the fact that a lot of these uh, control units were not designed to be internet compatible. So that was kind of been added on in the last few years as an aftermarket feature. And they cite that vendors are constant, are not constantly, um, vendors are frequently prioritizing ease of use over security. So security kind of takes a backseat. I know we don't see that anywhere else in the tech industry, but yeah, it's, it's a relatively short article. It's probably take about five or 10 minutes to read. And it's like I said, very dense with information and kind of gives you a good idea of the current infrastructure, cybersecurity landscape. I recommend making some time to read it. Next article will feature Furfest, uh, which I'm assuming is I think it's what it is. I think it's what I think it is. Um, but Wall of Flippers detects Flipper Zero Bluetooth spam attacks. So this is a new Python project called Wall of Flippers, which detects Bluetooth spam attacks launched by Flipper Zero and Android devices. And by detecting the attacks and identifying their origin, users can take targeted protection measures and culprits can potentially be held accountable for their actions. So um, the ability to launch this attack uh, using the Flipper Zero portable wireless pen testing and hacking tools first demonstrated uh, in September 2023 by security researcher. And at the time, the attack involved spamming Apple devices with bogus Bluetooth connection notifications. We actually covered this on surveillance support. I think it originally was shown in uh, DEF CON, if I'm not mistaken. So um, it appeared more like a prank than anything dangerous, but, but... People attending the FurFest 2023 conference discovered firsthand that it's not just a prank, bro. Um, it actually goes far beyond that, and many reported severe business disruptions with their Square payment readers occurred, and others faced more threatening situations, like causing an insulin pump controller to crash. People using Bluetooth-enabled hearing aids and heart rate monitoring tools also reported disruption, which could put their well-being at risk. So while some claim that Apple has quietly introduced a mitigation for these attacks in iOS 17.2, the problem has not been addressed yet on Android at this time. That's a downvote for Android. Furthermore, Pleeping Computers tests sending BLE spam to iOS devices from an Android app still continue to work, though, after installing iOS 17.2. So also uh, half thumbs down for Apple because it's not completely fixed on their ends either. So the script scans for BTLE packets in the vicinity and analyzes the transmitted packets against a set of predefined patterns considered to be indicative of malicious activity. So this project, and this is actually what the story is, is a work in progress and will continue to get updates to help prevent these attacks. So something to keep in mind. Um, do you have something to say? 
Uh, I was stopping my mic from moving, but I was going to say oh. real quick, um, this comes from Bleeping Computer, who is notoriously good at adding the more technical, down and dirty information. So if anybody wants to know specifically what it defends against and where it's at, check the article. There's there's more technical information in there. Our next story is interesting and ongoing. The Black Cat ransomware raises the ante after FBI disruption. So on Tuesday, December 19th, the FBI disclosed that it infiltrated the world's second most prolific ransomware gang, a Russia-based criminal group known as Alpha or Black Cat. The FBI said it seized the gang's darknet website and released a decryption tool that hundreds of victims company victim companies can use to recover systems. Meanwhile, Black Black Cat responded by briefly, quote unquote, unseizing the website with a message promising a 90% commission for affiliates who continue to work with the group and open season on everything from hospitals to nuclear power plants. Black Cat's Darknet site currently displays the FBI seizure notice, but as Bleeping Computers founder explained on Mastodon, both the FBI and Black Cat have the private keys associated with the Tor hidden service URL. So, in other words, whoever is the latest to publish the hidden service on Tor, in this case Black Cat, or, well, now it's the FBI, will resume control of the URL. So just whoever posts next gets to update it. So uh, they said, expect to see this type of back and forth over the next couple of days. And that is... Uh, Definitely unsettling that they're kind of taking the the rails off the system, but we'll uh, we'll see if there's anything to it or if it's just them talking big. What's up? I don't think it's them. I think, think the think FBI is pretending to be them to get like ninety percent of commission. I think that the FBI is acting like they took it back so that they're going to get all these new customers with ninety percent hmm. commission. It's it's a honeypot now. Okay, I mean, we've I seen that and, happen and you before. Know, I don't so normally that's... just call things honeypots. I'm making a video about this right now. Like, oh, I'm I, excited I don't, for it's that. It's not actual, but like, <laughs> this doesn't make any sense to me. But no, but that is that is because you're right. We've seen that. We've seen the FBI do that before. Run honeypot. Like notoriously, um, for those who don't know, the FBI took down a CSAM website and ran it for the next God. What was it like six weeks or something like that? as a honeypot to try and catch more people. And it was notoriously controversial. But I think they're very likely. I think it's 50, 50. I think it's 50, yeah. 50 that, you know, like that's, that's at first glance when you hear the story, it's like, Oh, they're trying to mess with them back. And now they're like, well, you screw you. We're going to, you know, not have as many ethics and blah, blah, blah. But I think the other take on this is that they still seized it. And now they're just pretending like it's unseized. But I mean, that's a very good possibility. Like I said, there is precedent. So I didn't even think of that. We'll see. We'll see. In like two years, we'll find out. I was going to say, I'm not going to lie. I hope you're right. Because <laughs> I don't like the idea yeah. of like, yeah, I just hate everybody. I'm like, but it's winter and I like having power. I've been without it before and it sucks. The last one is about Mexican cartels. Great story. And so they're using a police database to track and target their enemies. So they're tapping intelligence and security software that's also used by the government to locate and disappear rivals and hide their crimes. The software is called Titan, and it's been used by several Mexican state governments. Its users can geolocate persons across the country in real time, access minute-to-minute -minute location logs, and obtain official identification documents, amongst other private information. So the different services available through Titan are being advertised in the black market for around 10,000 Mexican pesos, which is about $600, all the way up to about 9,000 US dollars, or 180,000 pesos. And they're being offered via WhatsApp groups managed by a council, which includes both members and criminal organizations, and Mexican state officials, according to one of the group's admins speaking with Vice. 
Um, the database is composed of other larger databases like the INE, which is the Mexican voter ID, Telcel, Telmex, credit bureaus, bank statements, phone app logs, emails, amongst many others. It's unclear who's behind Titan, and the platform is constantly changing servers, probably to avoid getting tracked. The last two server changes, according to the metadata, were made three and eight months ago, so twice in the last year, and Titan does not offer any other details or contact information on its login screen other than just a secure email. A U.S. military intelligence officer said Titan is using open protocols to access live locations on targeted individuals, like the SS7 protocol, which is basically the same protocol used by other phone, every other phone company in the world. So they don't really use malware to access location, and SS7 is a communication protocol needed by mobile service providers all around the world to be able to communicate among different phone companies. The protocol has been widely criticized in the past for lacking enough security and making users vulnerable to tracking. By entering a first and last name or a phone number, the platform offers access to a person's Mexican official ID, including address, phone number, a log of calls made and received, a security background check showing if the person has an active or past warrant or has been in prison, credit information, and the option to geolocate the phone entered. A source inside uh, the cartel said his organization has been using this service for at least six years. Really interesting. I don't really know what's going on here. My guess would be some kind of corruption uh, in the government would lead to this kind of happening. That's where my mind goes, but who knows? Um, pretty suspicious. It sounds like it's something that if the service cared about restricting only to the government, they would have done that by now. And if the cartel's been using this for six years, I feel like that it just sounds like corruption to me. And the story we're also moving to next week. Again, thank you all for the patience, but there's a game mod on Steam that was breached to push password stealing malware. So if you're interested in any of these, make sure to subscribe and uh, these stories are already live on the internet for you to dig into. Uh, that's really it for the week. So again, there was that Mint Mobile data breach that we covered. There's Rite Aid being banned from using facial recognition technology, an update on a French court case, which is, you know, a little bit concerning. And then there's a case of surveillance in the wrong hands and a lot more. Again, if you like what we do here, uh, this is all for free. And so we love providing this value to all of you. And we just appreciate you all learning about privacy and security and making yourself safer out there. So we really appreciate that. And if you want to contribute to this and you like the podcast and you want to see us keep doing it for another year, um, definitely contribute and join us on patreon.com slash surveillance pod. And if you don't like Patreon, we're also on LibraPay. And we also support Monero too, if you want to tip us via Monero. And the last thing I'll say is if you can't support us financially, um, we still appreciate, you know, you sharing the podcast around with different people. And we still appreciate you leaving likes, comments, subscribing and all that good stuff and leaving uh, reviews and ratings when you can, because that helps us reach more and more people. So thank you all very much. And we'll see you uh, probably next week. So there might be one more before the new year, but we don't know yet. It's holiday season, so we're doing our best. <laughs> Taking it day by day.